0: Hey, everybody, and welcome to the latest edition of Breaking Down the Doors, where we talk all things Vanderbilt athletics. I am Adam Sparks, Vanderbilt beat reporter with the Tennessean. Who do I have with me?
1: Jen Triesta, sports columnist at the Tennessean. It's uh, good to be part of it today.
0: So I'm driving this today with Tommy Deezer, sports editor, not on the podcast. We're going to we're gonna hit a few topics, and I, I, I want to set those up right now. We're going to talk about the quarterbacks, because Vandy got one back this week for the uh, Kentucky game. We're going to talk about how hot Derek Mason's seat is because that's that's the number one topic around the football program right now. And, uh, and a little bit later in the podcast, we're going to talk about why Jerry Stackhouse does not want a big three, at least the idea of a big three on his uh, on his basketball team. So let's hit these one at a time. Quarterback this week, the news of the day. This is Tuesday. We're recording this. Had the press conference with Derek Mason uh, to set up the Kentucky game. He gave an update on injuries. Two quarterbacks have been out with concussions, Riley Neal, Mo Hassan. Mo Hassan has been out longer than Neal by one game, but he's he is not back yet. He is at least part of the way out of protocol. He was at practice, but he's not suited up yet, which tells you he's kind of about two steps through a three-step process in protocol, concussion protocol. Um, he's listed as doubtful for the uh, Kentucky game. Uh, Riley Neal is back. Which is really good news for Vanderbilt. Potentially could be because quarterback is an enormous problem has been most of the year, but it was an even bigger problem in the Florida game. Gentry, do you see this? Do you see this changing the outlook for the next three games and for the Kentucky game that Neil was back?
1: Well, it can't hurt. I mean, at this point, any change at that position and certainly on offense is, is a good thing for Vanderbilt. It had gotten it's gotten so bleak there at that position that. You know, you look at the opening drive of the South Carolina game, and that was the last time Vanderbilt's offense even looked somewhat capable, Yep. and Riley Neal had a lot to do with that. I, I think they're, the times I've...
0: Missouri game. Missouri game, not South Carolina.
1: R- right Riley Neal? No, he was out there.
0: Riley Neal was out there at the end of the Missouri
1: game. And the start of the South Start of South Carolina. And, and yes, he, okay. he threw, uh, touchdown drive against yes. South Carolina, yes. and then he gets knocked out of the game, and I, you know, They struggled to get a first down from that point, and, and the offense had just, has just gotten so horrific that you need to do something to try to get it going, and I, I think they're better with him than probably anyone else at this point at that position.
0: I, I'm trying to think in my mind. I've covered Vanderbilt football since the 2014 season, so when Derek Mason got here, and I'm trying to remember when I've seen it as bad offensively as it was at Florida this past week, fifty-six nothing loss. There's probably two or three games I could think of. Maybe if I went back in time, I mean UNLV to some extent earlier this season, but it's it's I'm hard pressed to find worse ones than that. I mean, it, I, Deuce Wallace, to his credit, came into the post game press conference room and answered for some of the mistakes that he made. Uh, answered for. The offense's mistakes felt almost pity for him, and in how that game looked, and the fact that he had to an answer for it. But we've always, you know, we've we've seen players kind of have to take that on before. It was it was it was so bad that Dan Mullen, even before Vandy's offense had gone onto the field, Dan Mullen didn't get the first down. His first series, three and out, set a punting on the opening drive. He said, eh. We'll go for it. We'll go for it on fourth down because this this Vandy team can't even get a first down. And you know what? He was right. And for the most of the day, they didn't get a first down. It was I was I was on Twitter, kind of you know giving updates every drive about where Vandy's yards were. And I think it was about early to mid third quarter. Vandy averaged .31 yards per play. Mm. That's a foot. <laughs> that's the, and I was trying to think about that. If I write this at the end, am I going to say it's a third of a yard, so they're averaging a foot per play? That's that's unbelievable for an SEC offense to do that that little, especially with
1: some of the weapons they still have. It's almost like when you watch a high school game between two clearly mismatched teams, mm-hmm. and one of them just can't do anything offensively at any – because. They're, they're beaten at every position, you know, up front, skill area, their quarterback can't do anything. And when that happens, you're, you clearly can't win a game, and you're probably going to get blown out. Um, I, I think if there is hope, it's that a new quarterback w- w- would probably be able to help them. Uh, Vanderbilt's got a good running back. He's kind of disappeared, I guess, in, t- in terms of production, I guess, here, here recently. But, you know, there are capable players on that offense. But if you can't gain more than a foot, on your plays, you're you you you're probably not going to go beat a ranked team on the road, and right. you're probably going to lose by 56 points.
0: Yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned before about Riley Neal in the late in the Missouri game. He threw a pick when he went out there first. That's when Mo Hassan was taken out by the concussion. Riley Neal came in through a pick, but then after that, led a touchdown drive, threw a touchdown pass, started the South Carolina game, went drove down, t- another touchdown pass, 7 nothing, then left with a concussion. That's the last time we saw Riley Neal play. And it seemed like those two sequences, uh, the offense had more confidence in him, which is a flip of what it was in the first half of the season. The The, the sense that I got around the team early on was we'll go with Riley Neal because that's who the coaches chose, but we're, we we won't Deuce Wallace. He's our guy. He's a popular guy on the team. We know him. He knows the offense. He's been here forever. And that I won't say anybody is anti-Deuce Wallace now. He's still – one of the most likable guys on the team. But it seemed like to me in those two sequences, Missouri and South Carolina, I think guys looked at it and said, we really do have the best chance with Riley Neal out here. I think the confidence is more in him. And I asked Derek Mason if he thought Riley Neal looked more comfortable coming off the bench in the Missouri game than South Carolina. Sometimes guys, when they sit for a little while, they're better when they come back. I asked Derek Mason about this, and this was his answer about Riley Neal.
2: I think he is more comfortable. I think, you know, for him, uh, I've been asking, you know, him for a while just to continue to push himself to play faster and practice so that games slow down for him. And I think that's exactly what he had, you know, began to do, you know, before the injury. and 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 even watching him out. Uh, man of practice he was much more intentional about you know I mean, talking to guys and looking at you know what we were doing schematically and even like doing the protocols you know like for him you know i mean he was taking every mental rep and and, and that was something before like riley it worked but i think this was a different type of uh, a workload for him and i and like i told him like in this conference man you have to prepare differently it's in, it's not any place that you've been before every place every place in this conference is new and and every team that you play is formidable so um, and the preparation the sense of urgency has been greater much greater um, since since that time and I think for him uh, you know as he's benefited and started to become better you know he makes us better
0: so better preparation better sense of urgency Now, maybe Derek is just talking him up because he needs to. Uh, accentuate the positive yeah, there, like, what else can he do? Right, really? yeah. but I mean, at this point you're you're looking for something that can carry you through to a few wins at the end of the year and And that gets us to the next topic. I think the one people want to hear the most is Derek Mason coaching for his job in these final three games? Is his uh, job status already determined one way or another? You know, a lot of that comes down to a buyout and money and contracts and all that. And, and, and the hard thing about that is we don't know that dollar amount. Now, for people that don't know, he's, uh, you know, Vandy is a, Vandy's a private school, so we don't know the contract, contract situation. The last tax returns that we got uh, were from a couple of years ago. Derek's base salary was, uh, I think it was $2.8 million, and it's at, at either four or five years now, but a buyout is not necessarily those two numbers multiplied together, Sometimes a buyout is just around $5 million. Sometimes it's a buyout is for two of the five years on your contract. We don't know what it is. It could be $10 million. It could be $3 million. I suspect it's probably nothing below that.
1: I would say the answer to those questions, though, is, is yes and, and, and no. I, I think no, it hasn't been decided yet, at least in my opinion, uh, not with games left to play. Uh, but yes, I absolutely think he's coaching for his job. I think he has for a while now. I would have thought the Missouri game would have put him in a lot more stable position than it was before that, and certainly I'm sure that helped. But you have to be competitive. I, I've I've always believed that the powers that be in this case didn't necessarily want to make a change uh, with the football program. Certainly not after doing it with Bryce Drew earlier this year, but. There are situations where a coach gives gives you no choice. Yeah. And when you lose like that at Florida, you're, you're trending that way. And, you know, a loss to ETSU, a blowout in Knoxville. There are several scenarios now where I think the, the, the Vanderbilt can look at this and say he can't get it back. It's gone. It's too far gone.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think a loss let, – let, let's go with this premise that you're saying that it has not been decided yet. I think a loss against ETSU is the absolute nail in the coffin. I don't think he's the coach next year if he loses to ETSU. I think that's the baseline of the argument. If it's not decided until the end of the season, if he beats Tennessee, maybe he didn't go 3-0 the last three, but he beats ETSU, beats Tennessee, loses competitively to Kentucky. Is he going to be – he beats Tennessee on a Saturday afternoon. Is he going to be brought in on Sunday afternoon and say, hey – you beat them fourth time in a row, uh, first time in about a century. But we got to let you go. I don't, I don't, I don't know th- if I see
1: that. No, I don't think there's any chance of that. Uh, I, I think, I think tie goes to Mason here. I, I, I think that that they, if if it's close, I think they probably keep him. But is it going to be a situation where it's not close and it's obvious something like what just happened to Chad Morris at Arkansas, where you know it's not looking good. But he had an opportunity to kind of show people, okay, we're improving, we didn't quit, and you go lose by 26 points to Western Kentucky, you're gone. It's the point of no return. Right. And I think Mason, look, they're bad. And they've been bad all season. I think everybody who's listening to this knows that. uh, Beating Missouri was was an outlier to a team that has had the worst offense and the worst defense in the SEC this year. And we've talked about this before, Adam, where – If it's a coach in his first or second year, you know maybe like a Jeremy Pruitt at Tennessee when things are bad, you you can kind of go back and say he's getting it the way he wants it. Give him time. But when you're in your sixth year and this is all is all your team, you recruited everybody on this team, and you're that bad. How does I don't know how it gets that bad. I know Vanderbilt doesn't expect to go win the SEC championship, but they do expect to be competitive. Yeah. And more often than not this year, they have not been competitive.
0: Yeah, and I've got a story in the Tennessee in this week uh, about the quarterbacks. There's a lot of problems in the 2014 quarterback situation. His first season, a lot of the same scenarios and problems with this team. The difference is 2014, he inherited those quarterbacks. The ones he has right now, as you mentioned, he brought in every one of those guys. Um, and, and just so people understand – When we say, when we're trying to gauge whether or not Derek is back next year, we're not necessarily saying what we would do. I think we're trying to gauge of what is going to happen. And I mentioned the buyout before because, again, we don't know what it is. Uh, Derek got a contract extension in 2017. He was at two years. That brought him all the way to five. That was after his first bowl appearance. And then you take off two years to get to 2019 from five to three. He got another contract extension in February. Which So extended, it's either one year or two years, so he's either at four years or five years coming into this one. But we don't know what the buyout is. David Williams was the AD when when those extensions were at least drawn up. The second one was given under Malcolm Turner, but I think it was David Williams that...
1: I'll say, do you think there are a lot of situations where the buyout gets mentioned a lot and that gets discussed a lot, but ultimately... It, it it doesn't matter. I'll give you a good example. Last year was Louisville. Bobby Petrino had a terrible team at Louisville. They they went off the cliff. They weren't they they quit on him, and it was most games were just were just laughably bad. But Louisville was a program that was hurting for money uh, as a athletic department, and people looked at a high buyout on this and said, you know, gosh, I don't think we can afford it. You had boosters being quoted or uh, board members being quoted saying that, but it got so bad they did it anyway. And I've always believed that a program at at this level, at a Power Five level, if they really want to do it, they can find the money, and that's not going to stop them. So, it, it but but is Vanderbilt different? Is their situation different to where that actually could save Mason?
0: Well, historically, Vandy has never paid buyouts of any size. Um, you'd have to get down to your last year or whatever. And I don't know what the buyout for Bryce Drew was, but it was he still had two years left on his contract. Uh, Malcolm Turner fired a coach earlier than anybody else fired coaches at Vandy. So there is a change there.
1: Um, that was another situation where I felt like you feel like there was just no choice at that right,
0: point. Right, right. 20 straight losses had, he, he had to go when, when you have that bad of a season. With, with Derek, let, let's just say I, I, I think an element we need to bring in here is the stadium project. So Malcolm Turner, the AD, is trying to get a stadium, either a new one built or the current one renovated. You know, if he's talking about $150 million, I'm just pitching out a number there, $150 million for some kind of stadium project. And Derek Mason's buyout, let's say, is $8 million. Well, if there are donors that, will, that won't that will give at least $8 million un, unless Derek Mason is fired, then the math of that says, okay, well, I'm going to net better if I get rid of Mason. right. I mean, that's, that's the conversations that are going on behind the scenes, and there's an interim chancellor right now, so you, you wonder how the power struggle is there. Does that help or hurt the case? You know, Malcolm Turner's going to be juggling a whole lot of money over the next few months, and it's a lot of money they're going to have to pay Derek Mason to not coach next year, but in the grand scheme of things, it might be the difference of, uh, you know, whether you have carpet or hardwood in the, in the new suites. I mean that literally may be the difference.
1: Well, and I think also, given that you have to ask yourself, is this the coach best equipped to take us to the next level? Has what he's did, is there enough optimism and enough sign that the the program is trending in the right direction? And I don't see how anyone can look at Vanderbilt football this season and think that's the case.
0: I think going into the season, Malcolm Turner thought he was mm-hmm. or he could be. I think now he's likely convinced that he's not. The question is when he sits down with the, let's say, five top donors or the board of trust, are they adamant that they've got to get a fresh start with a new coach, or do they all shrug their shoulders and say, he's not the guy, but let's give it a year and we'll get rid of him next year and we'll save X number of dollars. At other schools, you don't do that.
1: No, and I I believe – that's in most cases not good management. You know things that you know are going to have to be done eventually. You need to do them now. Yeah, I, I think all those are, are factors. But that said, I think you know I didn't think I don't think Vanderbilt's going to beat Kentucky, but I didn't think Vanderbilt was going to beat Missouri either. Right. So if if Vanderbilt's playing a team in Kentucky that's very that's challenged offensively to score points, they're going to have a wide receiver out there playing quarterback. They're going to try to hold the ball forty five minutes and probably have 15 play drives so there won't be a lot of points in this game the score is going to be low Vanderbilt's defense is improving so if Vanderbilt's able to luck up get a pick six just just make something happen enough to beat Kentucky I think the entire discussion changes at that point I, I think it's that close and I think again I think Ty goes to Mason I think he would get the benefit of the doubt. But you cannot be out there losing fifty six to nothing SEC games against anybody.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. If you beat Kentucky with Riley Neal back, he says, Hey, well, we look terrible at Florida because we yeah, yeah, we we didn't have a quarterback. We have a quarterback now. Look we beat Kentucky and then we beat ETSU and and then you see what happens in Knoxville. Um
1: I tend to think that game in Knoxville is gonna be revenge kind of beat down. I think I have, Tennessee I have sense would have too. the ability to really put it on them.
0: I have that sense, too, especially since it's in Neyland. Mm-hmm. Um I think that'll be the sense for that whole crowd there. And um, there
1: will be no taking that lightly for Tennessee. No. They, they will be up for that in every way.
0: You know, another element to this, I think, is Jerry Stackhouse. Malcolm Turner fired Bryce Drew, hired Jerry Stackhouse as the men's basketball coach, and he's on the hook for that hire now. Anytime an AD hires a coach – at a major program at a university, your clock starts with that coach, whether he, he or she succeeds or fails. And I think I count seven games for the men's basketball team that will have, be, will have been played by the time the football Vandy UT game comes up. If Jerry Stackhouse, I'm, this is a small element, I think, of it, but if Jerry Stackhouse is 6-1, I think Malcolm Turner looks at it and says, hey, I'm, I'm pretty good hiring coaches. Because look, I brought this guy now. The, the wouldn't the schedule, basketball
1: be different for him though? Isn't that? Wouldn't that always going to be more in his wheelhouse? He
0: claims that's not in his wheelhouse as much as other things because he worked in branding in NFL, PGA, NBA, MLB, all that. But yeah, I mean, he was the president of the NBA G League. But when an AD makes a hire and that hire succeeds, the ego gets a little bigger and your self assurance gets a little stronger. And now there's a pretty easy schedule for Vandy basketball in the front end, so they, you know, if they're six and one, okay. But who have you beaten? Now if they're three and four, three and, uh, yeah, three and four, then he's maybe thinking, oh man, I, I don't know if I want to put another coach on my name just
1: yet. I think there's an element in that. All respect for for Malcolm Turner. I, I've been impressed with him so far with, with with the job he's done at Vanderbilt in a short time. But often these decisions for the major sports, as you mentioned earlier with the the stadium project, aren't usually up, to, aren't always up to the AD. Uh, I think the AD has a say in it, yeah, and he's he's the face of it. He's the 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 voice of of the decision when it happens. But it's made by significant donors, you know, people who ha- have a real financial stake in the future of of Vanderbilt athletics, and I think this could be the same way. Um, I don't know what kind of support Mason would have in that group. I think what the point you made about the stadium is a very good one and probably pretty pertinent to what we're talking about here uh, partly because uh, Turner went on the radio I guess about a month ago as before the Missouri game and made the point I thought was interesting of saying that the football program didn't wasn't given the same resources that he that men's basketball was and that 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 situation could impact the the ultimate decision as it pertained to Mason. thought that was fascinating because I think that was him admitting right there, we're not doing enough for football. We're not doing as much as, as I would like to see for football.
0: Yeah, everything I've gotten from Malcolm Turner is I don't want to get rid of anybody if they've got an excuse or, or a, sorry, a reason for why they're not succeeding And if, if if I'm the reason. If I haven't given them what they need, I'm not going to fire them yet. But
1: And when I say Ty goes to Mason, that's why I think that. Yeah.
0: And and again, what you said before, historically, the people with the money and the power in the room, besides the AD, historically, those people have shrugged their shoulders and been more patient. Um, I don't know if that's the case now. With Bryce Drew, that didn't save him. So speaking of Bryce Drew and Jerry Stackhouse and all that, let's finish up with basketball. So as we record this, Vandy is 2-0, they have not looked great at 2-0, but they beat SEMO. They, they ran away with that one in the second half after it was a tie game in the first half. I covered the Texas A&M-Corpus Christi game. Last night, Vandy was down early, down early in the second half, and then ended up winning it by five. Saban Lee is still a really good player, and he's developing more. Aaron Neesmith is still a really good player, and he's developing. Scottie Pippen Jr. is the new point guard. Uh, as a freshman, Scotty seniors has come to every game and exhibition so far, so he's going to be a regular. It looks like at Memorial Gym on the on the front row. But you know, we asked Jerry Stackhouse. We've asked him in a number of ways about how he started these guys and finished. He's a real big guy on the finishing five, not the starting five. And he has used he has used Pippin, Lee, and Neesmith, Smith. Those three guards together late in games, even though he has not put all three of them together in the starting five. Sabin Lee's been coming off the bench. And we, we ask a number of questions in the post-game press conference the other night about those three and the chemistry they have and they're working together. And when we ask about Scotty Pippen being on the floor as a freshman point guard in crunch time at the end of the game – Stackhouse was very quick to kind of let's stop the talk of a ranking of these players here's what jerry stackhouse had to say
3: did he have it i mean they go back and forth like i said it's, they sometimes uh, i call a play sometimes scotty running sometimes um saving runs it saving likes to be off the ball some too so um but again it's just it's just about executing he's growing i mean he's a guy that we're gonna have in the game i mean i, I trust all these guys it's not, i mean, we're not trying to Start no big three or nothing like that. We need everybody. You know what I'm saying? There's some games that Scotty's not going well. He's a, he's, he's a young player, he's a freshman. He's going to have some ups and downs. Those have the games that Max will be in there. Dylan, he's a young player. He's gonna have some ups and downs. it'll be the game that Max, I mean, that Matt'll be in there. You know, so as said, it's just it's kind of how the game goes. Who's playing well? that is who's gonna finish the game? You know, we're gonna to try to give all those guys a shot. I thought O-Time played well in this in a couple minutes, but again, you just can't play everybody. Edge came in and did you know did, did some good things in his couple minutes. Um, so it's just you know it's not always in the box score, you know, who has the the. the a positive effect on the game, and we want to try to just continue. Jordan, Jordan, right? You know, came in, had a, had a big steal, got a layup. You know, just you know. So I think we're going to continue to uh, roll with guys as, as you know, who's going well.
0: So he said, "I'm not trying to start anything about a big three. I don't want a big three. He didn't want a label of these are my three best players. New coach.
1: He didn't. You know, he didn't want
0: to have favorites.
1: Tell you this: if they're not his three best players, let's let them get hurt and see how they do." <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I definitely think there's a big two. There's Smith and there Saban Lee. There is a big Lee. two. I would agree with that, Clevon yeah. Cleavon Brown maybe is your three if you've got a big three. P- Pippen is limited as most freshmen are, but uh, we'll see. Uh, Jerry Stackhouse, my early impressions of him is that he doesn't want a lot of, r- a lot of narratives kind of running amok. Every time we've asked a couple of questions on the same theme – he has quickly said, Well, ho, 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 hold on. That's not we're not we're not going down that rabbit hole. He 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 doesn't want narratives around his team early on. He doesn't want a narrative that he's a different coach than the old guy, than the former guy, Bryce Drew. He doesn't want a narrative, you know, of how he compares to him. He doesn't want a narrative of a ranking of players, he doesn't want a narrative that, hey, Saban Lee comes off the bench and Scottie Pippen starts, so there's something between those two guys. He doesn't want any of that.
1: He <laughs> wants this to be very open ended. Stackhouse strikes me as the kind of guy that if they came to him and said, you know what, you don't have to do any media, nobody on your team has to do any media, he'd say, great, let's not do any. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't think he enjoys – I think he's he's seen the show. Yeah. But so it, it's, it's something where you get a guy like that who's played in the league for a long time and he's, he's seen enough negative media to where, you know, it, it would shape his view of it, but I um, – he does have a big two. I don't care what he says. I mean, like I watched him play the in the, in the opener, and it's pretty clear the best two players on the team are.
0: <laughs> and that's a that's good. That's a lot of bad though, because right now, nothing against any of these guys that are on the floor. But right now, I see two guys, those two that would be in any lineup in the SEC and contribute to any lineup. Beyond that, I don't know, Cleavon Brown. Maybe at times we'll see when he gets the conference schedule. Scotty Pippen's going to need time. He's just a freshman, but I still see a lot of the issues they had last year. That's, that makes sense. They're only two games in, but uh, their defense is still lacking. They have offensive lulls because those are the two scores that they have and nobody else consistently. He's got his work cut out for him. and anybody that thinks that because they started 2-0 and that all the problems are solved – Um, the schedule will get harder in December, and it'll get much, much harder in January. And I think Jerry Stackhouse understands
1: that. I I think this is the kind of team that – I mean, in the opener, they shot a ton of three-pointers, and the the mid-range game kind of disappeared. They were either inside or outside like an NBA team would be. So I I think this is the kind of team that could get hot, make a bunch of threes, and beat somebody they shouldn't, and that's probably going to happen this season. But I think there's going to be some really bad performances against teams they probably should beat. Well, when shots aren't falling, maybe one of those two guys gets in foul trouble, gets banged up. Now what do you do? And they're they've got some depth, but they're yeah. When they get in January with the SEC schedule, they're going to start playing teams that are that are good enough to know how to take those guys away. And then it's going to become what else do you have? And I, I'm not convinced they have enough in the post to be able to be balanced in what they're trying to do. I think they're going to be a team that shoots a bunch of threes and either make them or they don't.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm the same. Their their bigs are going to hurt them when they get to conference play, and the bigs are bigger, so to speak, Mm -hmm. and and better.
1: Dominated on the boards by teams like Kentucky and Tennessee.
0: Speaking of that, I don't wish any ill will on any Vandy team, but when they get into conference schedule and they're losing some games by sizable margins, I'm curious to see how Jerry Stackhouse takes that because – even in the opener, he was a little defensive uh, to a few questions. Kentucky rolls in here, wins by twenty-five. I want to see if he's if he's humble, if he's straightforward, if he's angry. Uh, I'm just I'm just curious. And I don't even know if he knows how he's going to be right now. But
1: I was impressed by one thing with him, though. We when he got asked about his demeanor on the sideline, thought he gave a good answer. That, that coaches, college coaches, usually make it about them, and he isn't going to do that. Yeah. I like that. I thought that was refreshing. I'd never heard a coach. Which is say funny that. because
0: he's one of the best known names of any college basketball coach.
1: Right. Right and now. It probably needs to be about him to an extent yeah, for this because program. The college
0: <laughs> game is about the coach, the pro game is about the player. And mm-hmm. he was like, nah, I'm going to sit here and they can play and we'll talk about it when we get to a timeout. Uh,
1: I think players will respond to him. I think his, uh, from an X's and O's standpoint, I think he's probably pretty strong. I mean, he's, he's obviously been around. You know, this is a guy who played at North Carolina and some big, huge games, and has been in the NBA for a long time. I mean, he he knows the game and he knows what he's doing. It's just not sure he's got the players yet. Although uh, the two we we're talking about are um, very capable. In fact, I would they had a little more talent than I would have thought, actually, considering what happened last season. But I still think, uh, yeah, I'm with you. I things are going to turn sideways eventually, and we'll see.
0: All right, so Stackhouse's first road game is coming up on Thursday. That's at Richmond and they'll be at home against Austin P that starts another home stretch for them. The women's team plays Yukon on Wednesday night. That should be fun to watch. Uh men's team will be at home against Kentucky and uh, we'll see how those goes and we'll touch on them next week. That will do it for this edition of Breaking Down the Doors. We hope you'll subscribe to Tennessean.com if you haven't already. And remember to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. And drop us a review and a rating. We love five stars while you're at it. For Gentry Estes, I'm Adam Sparks. We'll see you next time.